Thank you very much. Um, it's good to be back with you again. Um, I think it was round about this time last year I was here. Um, I like Mars bars too. <laughs> and I was sitting there just waiting and you never came over. Um, so this evening I'm going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1. Or we are going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1. So if you have a Bible with you, if you could open that up. Um, and I'm going to figure out if I can work out how to use this. Just aim it there. Perfect. So we're looking at Jonah chapter 1, and we'll start reading at verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter through, and then we'll look at it a little bit more closely. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, that, or, and, they came, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we're going to look at Jonah this evening under four different headings. We're going to look at number one, the command, number two, the response. Three, the consequence, and four, the result. So first off, we're looking at the command. So in verse two, we read, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It's a simple command. Nineveh needs to repent, and God's chosen Jonah to go and warn them. Now the Bible, like there's no doubt about it, is a deep and a complex manual for Christian living. There's roughly in and around 340,000 cross-references in Scripture. And the more we apply ourselves to the study of it, 
the deeper our understanding will become. But the vast majority of the instructions and the commands in the Bible are just like this command that Jonah received. They're simple. They're not complex. We don't have to overthink them. They're in black and white. We just have to take them and apply them to our lives. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, as we'll see in just a moment here, contains more than one example that I'm sure we can agree are quite similar to the one that we see God given to Jonah. So first off, if you're here tonight and you have responded to God's call to follow Jesus and to vote your life to pursuit of God, it doesn't just stop at follow me. He goes on. If we look at Matthew chapter 4, it's follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And if you jump forward to Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, now make that clear because I don't believe for one second that Jesus would choose anything other than something of great importance for his final statement. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, call out against it. God tells us, go and make disciples of all nations, fish for men. It's simple, right? Jonah and the modern day believer have a calling in common. Jonah had a calling to a distinct geographical location, whereas ours is to bring God's message of repentance to all nations. So that's the call, but are we playing our part in that call? So often nowadays I speak to people and they'll maybe say to me, Look, there's evangelists, evangelists do the evangelism. I'm not very good at it. I'll invite somebody to church. They can come to church. They can hear the preacher preaching. And he can tell them about Jesus because I'm not very good at it. But whether or not you're good at it, it's what you've been called to do. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you're following Jesus so you can fish for men. Um, and I think we make it seem more difficult than it actually is. But we'll, hopefully as we go through, I'll give you some ideas that we can utilize in our lives that will help us to do these things in a better way. <clears throat> so that's the call. Um, what about the response? Now, before I look at the response, I want to make one thing clear. This wasn't Jonah's first interaction with God. By the period of time that we read about in the book of Jonah, Jonah had already actively shared a word of God with Jeroboam, a wicked king in Israel. So in 2 Kings chapter 14, we read this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned for 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. So the response... Even though Jonah was already aware that he serves a powerful God, as we can see from his previous interactions with a wicked king, rather than obeying God, whose power he's already witnessed firsthand, he decides to run in the opposite direction. In fact, more than just getting up to run away, we can see in the second half of verse 3 that he actually pays to try and outrun God. He uses his own earned money to try and outrun God. So on the one hand, we've got this omnipresent God, or to put it another way, God is everywhere, all of the time. And on the other hand, we've got this man who's been given a job to do, who's already aware of who God is and how powerful God is. And he's somehow thinking that he can outrun God 
on a boat. Honestly, if you, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry, I think. But I wonder if while we're looking at this, do we see any similarities between Jonah and ourselves? Are there areas in our lives where we're trying to run away from the presence of God? Now, if we think back to the two passages we just looked at from Matthew's gospel, to fish for men and to make disciples of all nations, are we actively involved in trying to reach the world around us with God's message of repentance, which can lead to salvation, even for the people who might find it, that we might find distasteful or beyond repair? Maybe there are just parts of your old life that you're holding on to, things you know that you shouldn't be doing, but you're just not quite ready to let go of them yet. Don't con yourself into thinking that there are minor forms of disobedience. Sin is sin. There's no big sins and little sins. It's all in or all out. <clears throat> now, the problem with disobedience in the Christian life, other than it being an offence to God, who not only offered but purchased your salvation, is that it carries consequences, as we'll see as we carry on through Jonah. Um, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now God's showing his power and authority over all of his creation by causing this storm. Jonah thinks he's running away, but God's saying, no, no matter where you go, I'm there. The earth and its fullness belongs to me. The wind and the waves obey me. He's telling Jonah that his disobedience hasn't gone unnoticed. But if we break it down to its most simple form, what is disobedience to God? It's sin. And the thing with sin in the Christian life is it carries consequences. God wants us. He cares for us. And the thing with God is he knows what's best for us. And like a father who sometimes has to tell off a child who's been disobedient and punish them, i.e. a child running across the road despite being told not to, discipline out of love and not wanting to see the child come to harm. It's the same principle with God, only his love's perfect. So God has brought about this great storm that's threatening to sink the ship Jonah's travelling on. But where's Jonah? You'd expect him to be up on deck, helping them throw cargo overboard, running backwards and forwards, hauling in sails. But he's, he's not. He's, he's asleep. How can he sleep through this storm? They're all, these mariners are concerned that they're going to die in this storm, and he's sleeping downstairs. Now, there's two things I want us to take from this portion here this evening. Number one, there is a danger when we willingly and deliberately disobey God that we become desensitized to the wrong that we're doing. We begin to convince ourselves that it's okay because we're doing the other things we're supposed to do. We don't curse. We don't get drunk. We go to church every week. We pray sometimes. We read our Bibles sometimes. We aren't aware that some of the difficulties we are facing are a direct result of our own disobedience. So we sleep through the rough seas. Sin often makes us feel that we can't get close to God. We'll pray less because we feel we, 
we're not worthy of his affections. We read less because we're worried that we might be convicted and have to make changes in our lives. We have to guard ourselves against spiritual lethargy or tiredness by clinging to God's commands and being disciplined in our pursuit of God. And then number two, when we refuse to obey God, we run the risk of putting others in danger too. Now the sailors, although disobedient to God and that they were pinning their safety from this storm on false gods, weren't the cause of this particular storm. Jonah was. You'll probably remember another situation in the New Testament where we witness a storm in Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus walks out to his disciples across the water and Peter says, command me to come to you in the water. You'll remember what happens next. And he takes his eyes off the Lord and he begins to sink. It's not an identical situation to what we're looking at in Jonah, but the principle is the same. If you allow your fear to take over, you think you can manage on your own, you'll begin to sink. We have to keep our eyes on God if we're to move in the right direction. Um, and we have to be so careful that we don't allow ourselves to live our lives traveling in a direction other than the one God has planned for us because God's will will be done. Which brings us to the result. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So despite all of his efforts to escape God's calling for his life, Jonah finds himself confronted with the result of his disobedience. Not only is he himself in mortal danger, he's placed everyone in the ship in danger too. And rather than sleeping in the hull of the ship, he's been woken and he's realized that God will not allow him to run. Once again, there are two things that we see here that should rouse our interest. Number one, Jonah had the answer to the sailor's problem all along. First off, he knows the one true God who controls the elements. He could have been standing there in the ship telling them to repent so that they might be saved in the eternal sense if the boat had sank. But they had to drag it from him. They had to really force this out of Jonah. And then number two, the sailors ask him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Would logic not dictate that the safest and best option would be to turn the boat around and to start his journey towards Nineveh? But what does he say? Throw me overboard. Is it possible to become that stubborn or to hate a people group that much that we'd rather die than share the gospel with them? Jonah appears to think that he can still escape from God's will in the most dramatic way possible. But once again, God shows his power over all of creation by sending a giant fish to swallow him and set him back on his right path. God's will will be done. We can try to outrun our responsibilities, but we can't outrun God. One final thing that I want to draw attention to from Jonah chapter 1 are these final few words. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Nothing remarkable about these 14 words at this first glance. But we find them being addressed if we look to Matthew chapter 12 and verses 38 to 41, where Jesus is in conversation with some of the scribes and the Pharisees. So verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, 
Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now Jesus' reference here directs us to our source of salvation. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Why do I feel it's important to draw this comparison? Because it's a direct connection between the story of Jonah and our need for a saviour. I don't know where any of you here tonight stand before God, but I do know this. Every single one of us has sinned against him. There's no little sins and big sins. All sin deserves the same punishment, regardless of how good we think we are. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we're also told that the wages of sin is death. But the comparison with Jonah comes as good news because God recognized that we were in need of a savior and he became human in the form of his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life so that he might pay the penalty for our sin by being crucified. Now that is to say that on the cross, he became my sin. He was died, he was buried. He raised three days later, conquering death so that we can conquer death along with him and be adopted into the family of God. All we have to do is recognize that we've offended God. Repent, that is to truly recognize our sin and be truly sorry and commit our lives to following Jesus. It's not an easy life. I'll not lie to you. God doesn't offer us health, wealth or riches, but he does offer us peace, contentment and joy. So application, there are so many reasons Christians give to explain why they don't regularly share their faith. Maybe you would say it would create friction with the people I work with, so we have to witness in different ways. Our relatives or our classmates would mock us for being Bible bashers. It's better that they just see us living right rather than shoving it down their throats all of the time. Just don't have all the answers to all the questions that people will throw at me. I have sin in my life and I don't want to go out there and be a hypocrite. Now be very careful if this one's you because you don't want the sin in your life to lead to even more disobedience. Don't double down on your sin. Or maybe we're just scared. Maybe we're just scared of how people will respond to what we have to share. Now on the other hand, there's one really good reason why we should pull on our big boy pants and share the gospel regularly and fearlessly because we've been commanded to do it. To refuse is to rebel against God, and it will have consequences for you and for the people around you. Now, six things. I'm going to be very brief that we need to look at if we want to avoid making the same mistakes Jonah made. Honestly examine your own life and identify the areas where you're being actively disobedient. Repent, ask for forgiveness, and make moves to live your life in God's will. Number two, recognize that there are two types of sin. Sins of commission, the things that we do that we shouldn't do. And sins of omission, the things we know we should do 
but we choose not to. Number three, be, be obedient to Christ's command to fish for men. We know the consequences of living this life apart from God. We also know that there's a true joy that comes of not being of that comes of being adopted into God's family. Share that good news with the people in your life who don't know God as Savior. Because none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. Don't put it off. Don't wait till you think you have all of the answers. Do it now. Be obedient from today onwards. Run toward God, not from him. But how can we do that to the best of our ability? Discipline. Study the word. Now, it's very easy to do, like, I don't know if people do a devotional reading every day. Maybe you pick up your Bible once in a while. Maybe you do go in depth with it, but actually read the Bible to understand it. Don't just read it to get it out of the way. Read it to build a relationship with God. He's speaking to us through his word. This is the living, breathing word of God. And the more we study it, the more we come into fellowship with God, the more we understand God, and the more we can share what we understand with the people around us. Pray. Don't just pray about the big things in life. God is a loving father. Share every aspect of your life with him. Pray without ceasing. Attend church for fellowship. But don't just stop on a Sunday. Open your doors throughout the week. Invite people into your home. Have fellowship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. Read the Bible with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray together and share. Help each other to grow. Iron sharpens iron. Number six, you're not alone. God actively participates in our lives. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And give thanks for that. And number seven, the last one. If you're here tonight and you haven't yet committed your life to following Jesus, don't put it off. Nobody's guaranteed it tomorrow. Don't run from God, run to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the life of Jonah. We pray that as we go into this week ahead, that we will commit or recommit ourselves to following your will. Um, I pray that we will take the aspects and areas of our life where we're running from you and turn them around, pray repentantly, ask for forgiveness, and to run towards you, Father. Um, just pray for our loved ones who don't know you yet. Um, I just pray that you would give us the wisdom and the boldness to speak truth into the world that we live in. Um, and yeah, Father, I just pray for each and every one of us as we go into this week ahead, um, that we would go forth with boldness um, and that we'll glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.